What's up, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Joshua, and you are watching a conversation with Joshua T. Berglund on the Live Mana Network. Thank you so much for being here. I think I'm going to get the pointy thing down correct this time. No, wrong one! Jeez! The mirrored camera gets me every time. <laughs> you can find links to all of our broadcasts right down here. I'm literally pointing the opposite direction. What a mind that is. Anyway... Uh, you can scan our barcode. You can learn about the Live Mono Worldwide Foundation, our nonprofit media organization. You can learn about our broadcast network, find all the links, uh, find our book, The Devil Inside Me. Anyway, it's just way more convenient than throwing out 85 websites. Just scan the barcode. It's all right there. Anyway, uh, I'm not trying to usher in, you know, the mark of the beast or anything by that because I have seen some of those comments. That's not why. It's just easy. Gee, many Christmas. Well, then again, so never mind. I'm not going there right now. This is a different conversation. Anyway, those of you who have watched my broadcast over the years, whether it's Gratitude Unfiltered, this show, whatever it may be, uh, any of the most recent broadcasts, ever since it was Morning Gratitude, um, I made the decision to finally share that I had HIV. Um, I was scared to death. It's pretty interesting, too, because I was getting all of this credit for being so bold and talking about being molested and talking about being abused and all that. I got a lot of credit for it uh, when I was doing Morning Gratitude, uh, which was a different show. It was my very first one. But I was withholding two very, very powerful secrets. And it took somebody convincing me, and really, actually, someone. <laughs> it was It was God. But um, it was God and then God sending people to me. But I heard the words, 98% of the truth is not the truth. And then God doesn't bless lies. Those two things rock my world. And I've had a few things over the years that have been said to me or I've heard or read that really, really rock me. The blessing is in the breaking. I can go on and on. But 98% of the truth isn't the truth. And I was convicted by that because here it was, I'd given my life to the Lord and I was doing my best to be the best Christian I could be, yet I was living a lie and also, even worse, forcing the people in my life to keep secrets. Because I was keeping a secret, they felt like they needed to keep a secret because who really wants to tell, you know, especially the loved ones, well, yeah, the reason why Josh went to jail so much is because he was an abuser. Or, yeah, you know, he's, he's not telling you that he has HIV. And it was, it took me, uh, one of the scariest things I ever did was tell people I had HIV. But I didn't do it normally. I did it uh, on a show, my show. And um, as terrifying as it was, and I had a lot of people, I mean, I think it was probably more from admitting that I was an abuser. Um, this was like three, four years ago. I think it was, I, I think that had a lot more to do with it than, than HIV, but with the admission to HIV also came the chemsex addiction that I had for several years. I mean, almost 20 years. And, um, that was a tough day. It was a tough day having friends no longer want to talk to me and things like that. But it was also the most joy-filled filled day of my life since I had given my life to the Lord behind bars. 
I'm so glad that I got rid of those secrets because if I hadn't, I know for a fact that I wouldn't have the life that I have today. God doesn't bless lies. Even if you're a believer or a Christian and you're living a lie, keeping secrets, you have no way of God blessing those secrets. And um, I've learned in my experience that just telling the truth, even when it's ugly, uh, God can use it. So now I, I talk about HIV as often as I can. I don't just try to like go, hey, neighbor, neighbor, guess what? I mean, I, but I, I do when Phil led, I, I bring it up. I talk about it. I talk about it on these broadcasts. And and I do it because I, I, I genuinely am free from it. I'm not afraid of it. But also because I feel that I'm doing a disservice to all the people before me that risked their life, had their life taken, um, that were experimented on. I think about all the doctors, the research, the hours. Again, I mean, there's the HIV researchers, you know, dying in a mysterious plane crash. I mean, I've, I've heard all of these stories. I think about Ryan White. I think about all of the people that work with the Rain Foundation, and 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 I, I I believe with all my heart and hope that the Elton John Foundation is legit. But I know there's other organizations out there that are very powerful. But I'm thinking about all those people. The HIV medication that I take was about five thousand dollars a month. I didn't have the money to pay five thousand dollars a month, and I didn't have insurance either. I didn't have anything. And if it wasn't for all of the sacrifices that have been made, taxpayers included, by the way. If it wasn't for them, I would not have the life that I have today. Without Jesus, I wouldn't have the life. But I can remember all of the people that made it possible for me to get to a place where I was undetectable and able to live a normal life. Because the only side effect I have is inflammation. And then the inflammation sucks, but I don't really ever get sick. I do everything I want to do. I'm happily married, have a beautiful family. And my life hasn't been destroyed and wrecked and all the things that I thought it was going to be when I first found out that I had HIV. So I am honored and humbled and in awe that I get to have our guest today, Erica, I'm sorry, not Erica. The reason why I said Erica is because her last name is the same last name as my childhood best friends. It was a brother, two brothers and a sister, and they were the Mejias. And uh, so when I see her name, it makes me think of my friend, but Maria Mejia is our guest today. And she, to me, is a one of the pioneers in the activism and education and taking the fight, uh, you know, fighting on behalf of other people with HIV and AIDS. And I, I just, I'm in awe. And here's the thing. This isn't a new thing. She didn't just start a year ago, didn't start two years ago, didn't even start three years ago when I essentially started, because when I started doing it, it was easy because I knew the medication was going to work. I knew I would be undetectable. I knew all that stuff once I settled down and quit, you know, shooting up meth and all that stuff and decided, okay, I'm ready to get help now. She started in 1988. 15 years old is when she started her journey and her fight. And I'm, I'm in awe 
of that. Because no one, except for doctors, Fauci, which I'm, you, I've got my, you know my opinion there. But no one, very few, especially women, were taking on this fight. And I am just absolutely honored and humbled to have Maria Mejia on today because she's an OG. <laughs> There's no way to put it. And it's because of people like her that people like me get to live the life that I have now. And so you guys are just, this is going to be special. I, I, her list of accomplishments and all that she's doing and has done is an, is an, is all, all inspiring on its own, but I'm really, really just, uh, I, I'm just excited to have this conversation because it's a conversation that I wanted to have. I've had other guests with HIV, uh, come on and, uh, they don't want to talk about HIV. So I finally get to have this conversation and we'll do it right after this. and pain, a true hero, and for the people, it's not just the HIV community, the LGBT community, it's not just that. The fact is, the work that she's done all these years is about to come full to a full head. I think I said that right. <laughs> it's going to come to a head. And the work that she did back then, I believe with all my heart, she's about to see the fruits of in the next few months. Because her purpose in this world is extraordinary, and I am truly, truly honored to introduce to you Maria Mejia. 
What's up, Maria? How are you? How are you, Joshua? It is an honor and a pleasure. I'm humbled to be here today with you. Well, I'm humbled to have you here because without you, without people like yourself, without leading the way all these years, I again, I, I said it in the beginning, I, I know I wouldn't be here. The resources wouldn't be available. Uh, none of that. So today, I am grateful for your life, your courage, your bravery, your intestinal fortitude. I'm grateful for all of that. Uh, that's that 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 motivated you and stirred you up to take this on and not let it kill you. Uh, but before we get into the conversation, can you tell me what you're grateful for today and why? Well, I'm grateful, but most of all, I'm I'm grateful to be alive because by being alive, I'm able to fulfill the purpose that God placed me in this world for. Amen. I, yeah, and your purpose is big. So I'm, I was reading uh, a little bit about your story. You found out at 15 years old that you had HIV. Is that correct? Well, I contracted HIV at the age of 15 in 1988. I didn't know I had HIV, but then it was a gay man's disease. I mean, it was called GRID. And as, as a teenager, that was very troubled that has a history very similar to yours with sexual abuse as, an, as a child, uh, a lot of violence. Um, I, it's very, a very complex story, but it's a story of survival. I lived with HIV from, I didn't know I had it at 15. I got it from my first boyfriend, but I found out in 1991, one week after my 18th birthday in Job Corps. Oh, wow. So that's the thing about HIV, uh, and I don't think a lot of people know it. Some people think HIV is AIDS. Uh, a lot of people that do know about HIV, doesn't, they don't really know that it can just sit there and hide and not show symptoms for a long time. And, and then one day, <laughs> it pops up, you know. Um, I mean, there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of different stories that I've heard, but again, it's it's really dangerous. I mean, especially, you know, if you're if any if you're in the lifestyle where you're involved with drugs and things like that, and you're having sex and you don't know who you're having sex with, it's probably a pretty good idea to get tested. And one of the things that I took for granted because I was a chem sex addict, I didn't want to know, and I honestly didn't care because I would have rather just died. So I wasn't going, hey, can you show me your re most recent status? I wouldn't do any of that because I was fueled by this demon lust for more drugs and more sex. But this wasn't, you're not a junkie or you didn't get it because of that, correct? You got it, you're in a normal relationship and then discover three years later that you've had HIV. Is that correct? Yes, um, actually uh, the ones that molested me and unfortunately I, I forgave my father. He's not the one that molested me sexually but there was a lot of violence at home. All of these things led me to run away from home, be put in the foster care system where I was supposed to be protected as a young child. Because 15 years old, you're a child, and they try to sexually abuse me there as well. That's where I run away to the streets and join a very, very violent street gang. And when I come to talk about it um, to different places where they want to hear me, 
and from prisons, and they could relate to me to teens in trouble, all the way to people in the government, because I do all that and everything in between. I think about it now, and all of us came from violent homes, sexual abuse, and we hated ourselves because our self-esteem was broken from a very young age. So when you don't have it, for example, my father is supposed to be my first love. He passed away and I love my father dearly and deeply, but he was bipolar, he had mental illness. And um, so those are the people, I don't like to blame anyone, but, but I, not a, I was not a sex worker. <laughs> I was not, a, uh, I did not consume drugs. I only smoked cigarettes. That's why when I got my diagnosis and I saw the doctor's eyes, when he said, why haven't you come to the clinic if we've been sending you slips? This is in Job Corp. When I was supposed to be changing my life around, I went to live in Kentucky and this book is a program for kids in trouble to study in Kentucky. The doctor, um, I immediately thought something was wrong. And the first thing that came to my mind was, oh my God, I have cancer in my lungs because I smoked cigarettes. So no, I was not a sex worker. No, I did not. I, I was not a, a, a promiscuous person, even though I don't like to judge anyone if they were promiscuous, if they were not promiscuous, because this is not a moral condition. This is a human condition that anyone can get, you know, from the babe, from a baby to an 80-year-old grandmother I have seen with this human condition, as I call it. And uh, so all the stereotypes that they have along with this, uh, condition and I'm not a, and I'm not I'm not a gay man like there was very you know prominent in the in the gay community I mean it still is but you know fifty uh, percent of people living with HIV around the world are women. It's that so, high. Extremely high because we're, we're the forgotten ones. I'm very blessed to work for well from one of the many places that I work for very blessed to work for the Wall project, which is a woman and girls organization. I'm their global ambassador and also cap and recruiter there. And I started with them as a volunteer. And if you really look up or Google women's organizations, there's only two in the United States, really. And that's the Wall Project, which is like my, I just, you don't know how it has empowered me and other women to come out of the HIV closet with no shame, because there is no shame in having this condition and so what we do in the wall project is not only blog which is like a diary you know i mentor so many so many young women and men as well but that's for women only and girls globally um mpwm which is positive women's network and i also belong with you know i'm also a part of them but the wall project is who i represent the yeah, I mean, you're, the, the advocacy that you do is in, inspiring. But I want to go back to the very beginning when you first found out, what was your reaction? Like when you your doctor's looking at you like, well, why haven't you been showing up? You think you have cancer. And then he says, you have HIV. How did you respond? No, he didn't say, he had no compassion. It was just 1991. He had no compassion. He had no empathy. He just sat me down in this cold room and said, you, you have AIDS. Just that to a teenager that didn't have her family around her. That was, I was like, I didn't cry. I didn't get angry. The only thing I remember is being in that office and that desk and looking down and saying, 
my God, my life is over. I'll never have children and I'll never get married. And I saw all my life pass in front of me. And I said to myself, why? Why have I been through so much since such a young age? And when I'm trying to finally seeing the light and, you know, here to study and to change my life in, in many aspects around, you know, I received a death sentence because what it was back then. And, um, but you know what? It saved my life, actually. So I do not regret contracting HIV, believe it or not. Yes, I'm, I'm with you there, too. But you were you diagnosed with AIDS or HIV? He, he said a, AIDS. He said AIDS. He had no way of knowing if it was AIDS. He was an ignorant physician because there's many out there like that. And... Um, but I mean, I'm a teenager. How could I question if it was now with the education that I have? I'll say, excuse yeah. me, sir. Uh, did you test my CD4 count? Because obviously back then there was no viral load test. Uh, <laughs> he had no, and he, and the thing is that not only that, but he did not, I'm not, I'm not expecting for him to pit baby, baby me, but be compassionate. You know, when you take the oath to be a physician, you have to have some type of, oh, I'm so sorry. My God. Right, hold on a minute. <laughs> I love it when dogs are part of the background. It's I wonder what kind of dog it is. What kind of dog is it? This is when when you have producers and editors that play music right now. Oh, how freaking adorable. I can't hear you. You're on mute. How cute. You're on mute. I'm sorry. I just didn't That's want okay. you to hear the barking because she always wants to be part of the show. That's okay. And she will not stop barking. She, she, it I mean, adds she to the cute factor. She's like a pit bull or something. <laughs> she's a little cute. Her name oh, is Lammy. The lamb. What is it? The lamb. I called her Lammy. Like yeah. Uh oh. Now you froze. Because she's like a little lamb, like you know, and, and lambs are innocent. <laughs> they like are innocent. <laughs> so going back to this this doctor, he had no way of finding if it was AIDS, but there was no information. I remember the head person in Job Corp. Um, I don't know if you would call him a dean because I mean, really not a university, but it kind of is. He he was very nice. He came all the way because you had to walk a far away. The reason why I was in that clinic in Job Corp is because I was about to turn 18. And when I turned 18, I asked my social workers there if I could go back to Miami. That's where my mother and little brother lived to celebrate my my birthday for at least a week and they were like yes go through the clinic to get discharged that's the reason why i went to the clinic because i did get these little slips to come into the clinic and i was like for what and i would throw it away i, I didn't i was like you know i'm a teenager you know i was yeah. like well, i'm not gonna walk all the way over there for what i know i wasn't having sex not no pregnancy nothing like that and look at my mind i thought it was um cancer when he's when he looked at me like because he looked at me angry. He, he didn't prepare me. He didn't counsel me. That's why 
in the future, I became a counselor and pre and post tester testing uh, people for HIV because as a volunteer in Jackson Memorial Hospital, I was a volunteer for eight years along in, in with the Red Cross and uh, from Monday through Friday without pay. That's called vocation. That was my, is my mission. And um, they trained me with the health department. So when I would give the diagnosis now to a person, I always remembered, you know, I will hold them because everybody reacts differently. Listen, you're going to be okay. Look at me as your example. If you do what you're supposed to do and you take your medicine and you're a good person and you live a good life and eat well and exercise and love yourself and, and go to therapy, because a lot of it, we all need therapy, <laughs> you know, you're, you're life with this human condition. As you notice, I don't even call it HIV. I call it a human condition. Many times we forget the human, which is the, the first letter of, of, um, of HIV. And, um, and as far as AIDS, the stigma that comes with AIDS, I have an AIDS diagnosis because for the first 10 years, I had no access to medication because when I found out, I went back to Miami and my mother, my brother, and I, well, my mother decided that we were going to go back home to Colombia. That's where I was living in Colombia. And I went to my grandparents' house. We, the, we all did. And, uh, and that was the most beautiful time or decade of my life. I was there from 1991 to 2001. And why? You would say, well, why? With a death sentence, with no access to treatment, there was no social media. I didn't know anyone that had HIV. I didn't have no support groups. I didn't have nothing, just a death sentence. But that's when my spiritual transformation came. That's where I became extremely spiritual. And the children that I didn't have were my grandparents. I took kids, and as part of a chapter, the whole chapter, one of the, a whole chapter of my book is dedicated to them. I made their last years beautiful. I would play their music. I would sing with them. I would dress them up. I would. They were like my children. They're you be. I mean, the elder, the elderly becomes. So even though I was with that that sentence, I finally was in a home of peace, where there was no fights, where there was no insults, where there was no violence. It was just, it was just so wonderful, you know. And I, I guess that that prepared me to. I mean, to the point where when my when the person that passed was my grandfather, and when he passed, he passed in the house. He was an, from old age, and his marriage, his marriage, his ring for marriage, um, they gave it to me and they put it in my hand because I took care of them. I would clean them. I would bathe them. I changed their diapers. My grandmother Alzheimer's, so it was very complicated as well. But yeah, I loved them so much, and that's where I realized that I was here to serve. And that by serving others, even though it's like to me, it was just something that natural. By serving others, I was worthy. I'm not like my father said I was when I was a little girl that I was not worth anything or that I was never going to amount to or, or calling me the W word. I don't want to say it because it's vulgar. Since I was a little girl, I mean that, you know, like you're nothing but a, you know, and you're going to end up like your sister that was killed six feet under. I want to talk bad about my father because he, he's, he's passed. And the last 15 years were very good with him. I taught him a lot of lessons. And one of them was, from all my children, the one that I treated the worst was you, and you were the most noble one. 
And I don't want to compare myself with my other brothers and sisters, but that's, that's the, the, those were his words. And when he would call me beautiful, I didn't believe him because he always demeaned me and my mother. But since I was a little girl, I mean, talking about three, four years old. And uh, so my self-esteem was on the floor. So obviously those years in Colombia with, with my grandparents and my mom and my little brother, Alex, were wonderful. But I was with them that sentence so towards the end I was dying and um, I have a lot of um, physicians in my family and one specifically that I disclosed to because I had to lie because one of the things before we went to Colombia is my mother sitting me down you know she's an extremely conservative Catholic we come from a very conservative Catholic home that's part of our culture and um, she has been everything to me every time they interview me or they do something in the magazine or I lately they have been highlighting the strength of my mother has never cried in front of me because she knows that would break me she has been the person that taught me although I was in a gang and all of these things that I am not ashamed of she taught me morals she was my foundation she taught me to be to have respect she taught me spirituality she taught me forgiveness because by by her teachings and by the teachings of Jesus Christ, who is who I follow, you know, mm -hmm. and that's who it is, you know, um, forgiveness set me free. Hmm. I forgive my uncle and uh, all, all those that have hurt me. And they, you know, I still, I'm still going through a lot of things. Uh, trust me, I'm probably going to write two, three, four, five books because, believe it or not, I'm still going to through traumatic events that I'm not ready to talk about. That I'm, I don't know why they happened to me, <laughs> but you know, I'm still here. They have not managed to jade me or to destroy my soul. And um, I'm gonna be here as a 34 year long-term survivor to now of HIV and AIDS. I'm gonna be here till God wants me to be here. Yeah, God's not done with you yet. I want to ask you something, though, because there are some people that are finding out right now that they have. Yes. It's different than it's different than HIV turned AIDS, but they're finding out about vaccine induced AIDS. And it's creeping out like overseas. It's kind of a thing. But here in the United States, like I'm starting to actually know people and it's getting really, really interesting. So. You're talking about living with AIDS for a, a while. That's your official diagnosis. How are you doing that? Because AIDS is, most people assume, that's your death sentence. You're done. How is it not killing you? Well, because of the wonderful treatment we have now. Because, as you said in the beginning, I know people that HIV could be dormant, in your body as it starts destroying your t-cells which is your immune system mm -hmm. slowly it's not like from one day like a cancer that will be sometimes they'll just they'll give you two months to live and that's it or you go on remission with with hiv it's silent and that's why i urge everyone young and old married not married gay straight whatever any human that is having sex with no protection. That's why I say even married, because a lot of times I used to offer the, the, the test to married people and they would be like, excuse me, 
I'm, I'm married. No, ma'am. Uh, but you know what you're doing, but you don't know what your husband is doing. Do it for yourself. And when I would ask well, the men, it was uh, another story. I'm not, not a homosexual. Sir, this has nothing to do with that. You should get tested because knowing is important because you could catch it and get on treatment. And obviously now further down the line, the undetectable equals untransmittable came. But how did I manage? My mom had a health food store. And a vegetarian restaurant, so I was eating very well. I took all the products that my mother sold. I mean, it's it's kind of like disgusting, but it's part of it. When you're trying to survive and do anything, I drank my own urine for three months because supposedly it was a Japanese. It's called urine therapy. Look, I did everything I could to stay alive, but the truth is that if you don't take your medication, you die. So what happened when I when I was not feeling well? Because I'm very strong genetically. My uncle said, look, you have 39 T-cells. 39 T-cells, a person normally would be dead. And I was still walking. I didn't look sick or anything, but I still felt like a little candle that was going out slowly. So I decided to go back to the United States. I'm a citizen. So here's where I started treatment. I remember Dr. Oprah. He's now a past. Very, very important doctor in my life. He said, listen to me, Maria. How do you feel? I said, I feel like a candle that's burning out slowly. He goes, you know, you're dying. I said, uh, am I? And I said, well, I feel like I am. I mean, it's not like I was like with horrible pains or anything, but I felt weak. And he says, I could take you to the well, but I cannot make you drink the water. If you don't get on treatment, you will die in a month. So I said, I'm ready to start treatment. And that's when I started treatment, 2001. So how did I manage to stay alive because of the treatment? Because as we know, with treatment, especially now, you become actable and your immune system starts regenerating. So, for example, I know people that have two T-cells and now they have a thousand T-cells. So it has to do with a lot of factors. Genetics are, your, 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 how you eat, the stress levels that you have and so on and so on. I'm one of those that for me to get to 300 T cells or over 200, because below 200 T cells, which is your system, is what is the diagnosis is, was very, very hard. I lived with 50 T cells for 15, for 15 years in a hospital being a volunteer. And I'm here because again, because it's not my time to go. And as you can see, I'm 49 years old and I'm healthy. And you can never, you can't tell, you know, HIV does not have a face. Mm. Look at you. <laughs> and we did it. Oh, but you know what? And here's the thing. I, um, it, I, I love your story because it, it's awareness that we should all use protection. We should be safe. Um, it can happen to anybody. You're proof. I, it's not like I was like saying, Hey, you know what, God, I want to get AIDS today or I want to get HIV. No, I didn't want it. But I, I, but my behavior said, you want Ebola, HIV, AIDS, crabs, all of it. Like it just give you all the diseases. That's how I acted. And I, and I, you know, my story, we don't need to go into it right now, but I mean, I did a lot of really bad, evil things. I mean, I shared needles. I did all the all the things you were not supposed to do. I did it. 
And how I got away with it as long as I did, I have no idea. But, like, I used to look at it like I deserved that. And when I first found out, I wanted to die. Mm -hmm. And I acted accordingly. I didn't care. I was still in my method and coke and sex addiction. And it didn't matter. I was just like, I'm going to die having sex and doing drugs. That's how I wanted to go out. I had no idea at that time that God had other plans for me. And I'm so grateful for that. But I also, again, know that that's not would have never been possible for the if it weren't for the sacrifices that were made, if it wasn't for the resources that people like yourself fought for, for people like me that really didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve a second chance. But God being God, he gives people second chances. And thank God he did. And you know what? As you said, I can honestly tell you today that I am grateful that I have HIV. And there, if anything, it's because, one, when the, the, the vaccine came out, or not, I'm sorry, not the vaccine, when COVID first came out, and I started oh. reading the newspapers, and I, read, and I heard about Gilead being involved in Dr. Fauci, and I was like, now why would an HIV drug be, why, why would they be involved in with this COVID vaccine and, and then finding a cure and all that stuff? I go, that's weird. So I went deep web hunting, and then I started to learn about the smallpox vaccine and Dr. Fauci and, and the big, all the, I started watching the old news clips of the people that were speaking out against him back then. And now I want to say to the world that was alive back then and old enough, and they saw it, what the hell happened to you? Like, how did you guys forget that he's a monster? This is my opinion. I'm not saying it's Maria's opinion. It's my opinion. But here we are again, about to face a new kind of AIDS epidemic. They are, they're bringing out the vaccines for it. They're bringing out all the new stuff. All the new COVID treatments just happen to have HIV drugs in it. Wonder why. Like, it's, it's getting out of hand. But I'm grateful because I was able to see it. That's why I didn't go, you know what? I'm going to go sign up for the vaccine. I wouldn't have taken it anyway, probably. But... It at least gave me the, and then once I had the knowing, it gave me the courage to start speaking out about it. And of course, everyone thought I was crazy, but we're, it's about to start hitting people in the face really, really hard. So now you being an advocate, you're sitting here saying, well, I've got AIDS, I have HIV, and I'm living healthy. So that means for all of you out there that are jabbed and boosted and you find out that your CD4 and CD8 counts are shot and you have no immune system left, Here's your hope right there. Are you not? Treatment your works. Your hope. What now? Did I lose I'm you? Sorry, Joshua. What was the Did question? <laughs> Never mind. It's not really a question. I was just really making a statement. And I said, you are an example that there yes. is hope for everyone. And the treatment works. I never, I never got to the AIDS diagnosis. I caught, I, I was, you know, I don't know how long I went untreated, to be honest with you, but I was undetectable within six months. Like it took virtually no time at all. And Me one month. That's amazing. That That's, that's incredible. So the, <laughs> point, the point of what I was making was, is that for everyone out there 
And if you're somebody that already has HIV or you have AIDS diagnosis and you're keeping it a secret, I'm telling you right now, there's someone out there that is dying to hear your secret. I mean, literally dying because your story could be the one that inspires them to go get tested because the longer you wait and not get tested, the more risk you put yourself and the people that you love. That's right. So what I, I believe that we're going to see a cure in our lifetime because there's, there's money for it now. I mean, the, the, all the treatments are so good. I don't think they really have a choice but to release the cure, which is great. And it's exciting and all of that. Even though I do not trust them with, to save my life, I do take that medication that has saved my life. And I'm grateful for that. Yes. Um, but let me ask you, what is it that we can we do as people living with HIV? What is it that we can do to be better advocates to help break the stigma? Because I kid you not, I'll say I have HIV in casual conversation because it comes up about for whatever reason. I can say that and someone will look at me like, you have AIDS, you're going to die. And I have to explain that it's not the same thing. People are still very ignorant. That's not an insult. Ignorant yeah. is educated on the subject. Ignorance. Lack of education of it. Very, do what now? As ignorance, lack of education about the subject. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not insulting you, but there is a lot of ignorant. There, there's people that are ignorant to this. So what can we yeah. do to be more, to spread awareness in a better way, but also to help break the stigma because not everybody is a chem sex addict that gets HIV. There's normal people like yourself. Well, this is my, this is my opinion. My opinion is that we have to stop putting the stereotypes on HIV. For example, you as a heterosexual male, I'm sure if, when you disclose in certain circles, they're not only thinking, oh, you're going to die, but in, in behind their mind, they're thinking, is he gay? Is he bisexual? Yeah. Is he on the down low? And that's wrong. And that's why many heterosexual males, it doesn't matter what you have done in the past. No one is God to judge. You know, the important thing is what you're doing now. So the reason that people are in the closet not taking medicine is because of the stigma. Yeah. The stigma and the discrimination, especially with heterosexual males that are afraid. If you if you look at activists, almost all of them are from the LGBT community which I advocate for and help. Why? Because I opened I open my life. For example, Bruce, one of them who, who is a great leader, he's the one that pushed along with us for the medical community to finally say the truth, for Dr. Fauci to say the truth because they knew this, that we were not infectious and we were undetectable. And um, don't get me wrong now, I'm not here attacking Dr. Fauci God, that's between him and God. I really, <laughs> I'll, I'll I really, I only know is that my friend Peter Staley, which was from Act of New York, they used to go to the FDA and to the NIH. They used to go up in the buildings. They used to boycott it. They used to raise hell uh, uh, to get treatment. And they throw the ashes of their in the White House because they didn't want to. President Reagan, which is was very beloved by my father, and you know, as I said, my conservative family. He didn't want to say the word AIDS until he saw that it was starting to affect everyone. 
he he was pretty much pressured into it. I suggest to you, if I don't know if you've seen it, How to Survive a Plague. It's the whole story of HIV and AIDS and the a fight. And, and it was not only gay men. People forget that women fought too. We fought. And 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 women and uh, not only gay white men, color women, we, we fought nurses, doctors, you know, they were there fighting for for medication. That's when AZT came out, which was so toxic. Um, so um, this, if we want to eradicate HIV, it starts with us. When I say the man in the mirror, it doesn't matter to me if I don't agree with something. You mm -hmm. understand what I'm saying? For example, yeah. if a person, let's just say, I have people that follow me from every background, even atheists. And I'm and I am super. I I mean I'm I'm not gonna say extremely Catholic, but I'm Christian. I believe in Christ, but also the Virgin Mary. You know because that's part of my culture, and you know um, that's just how it is. Um, but I could talk to an atheist, and we have mutual respect because he's not gonna try to tell me that Jesus is not, that he's just a man, just like me. No, no way. And I'm not going to go after him either. We have the respect as far as the advocacy that we do so for example i'm the founder of the two largest groups in the world with people that are infected and affected even though we don't like that word infected because it sounds like a, we're, we're like we're a biohazard so we're trying to change the language as advocates but the truth is there, the, the, it's infectious disease doctor so i have people there from every background muslims christians you know everything uh, atheists everything so one of the things is that we don't discuss or we don't go after anyone because of who they are, because of what they believe in. If you want to believe that that us is God, I mean, I'm going to try to talk about my experience, but I'm not going to impose it on anyone because my work is not, that's not my job. My job is that I am a, I am a living example of, of what God did in my life uh, for me and for those that believe in Christ. And, um, if we want to get to zero, and if we want people to get tested, we have to stop discriminating and stigmatizing and saying, for example, when I get interviewed, and I'm glad that you didn't do it because you had HIV yourself, but one of the things that they say to me is, were you a, were you a prostitute? Were you, uh, did you have a lot of um, protected sex? And I say, excuse me. And right live on TV, I say, excuse me. That's a very inappropriate question because that's no one's business how I contracted HIV. But no, I contracted it from my first boyfriend. But even if it was a thousand people that I was with because of the self-esteem I had, because of whatever situations I went through as a child, no one has the right to judge me but the Lord. Amen. And that's really what I believe in here. And that's why people from every background, from every religion, from no religion, and they tell me privately, I don't want to get tested because you're going to think I'm gay. I don't want to get tested because you're going to say I'm a drug user. I don't want to get tested or, or I have HIV, um, but I don't want to go to the clinic because you're going to say, oh, that per you know, that's an HIV clinic. So what's killing people now, now that we have access to treatment, not, not all over the world, let me be very clear on that. I, we fight for access to treatment, for example, in Venezuela with that monster that's over there, uh, President, whatever, I don't even want to call him President. That thing over there called Maduro, who doesn't give access.
access to treatment to people in Venezuela. It's horrible. So, but I'm talking about the United States. We have access to treatment. We have support groups. We have examples. What I wish I had someone like me to look up to and say, oh, I could live for 34 years and look good and work and thrive. Because it's not only about surviving. It's about thriving. Amen. I wish I had all that. And, and, and so that's how we're going to get to zero when we just humanize the condition, when we start seeing each other as brothers and sisters and understanding that this can happen against anyone. And I want to tell you something, Joshua, and I hope I'm not stepping on boundaries, but I'm kind of like very raw and very honest. You didn't deserve Please. it. You didn't deserve HIV. And you do, you do deserve a second chance because that's what the Lord, that's what Jesus Christ taught us. And I know you believe in Jesus. Oh, yeah. A whole Because I've already uh, investigated you. <laughs> he is my Lord and Savior. There is zero doubt. Amen. Amen. So you know that you deserve. This is not a moral condition. It is a human condition. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Yeah, that's beautifully said. I don't, I don't say that stuff to my, I don't say things like that to myself anymore. Uh, you know, I sometimes get stuff in my brain, but... I, I'm grateful for the opportunity I have. And, and because once I became aware that I, I, I quit saying that I deserved it, I shifted my attitude about it to say, you know what? I'm going to do something with it. I have it. I'm going to do something with it. I, I'm going to do what God wants me to be. And I've been blessed with a platform. And I'm going to talk about it to anybody and everybody that where it's necessary. I don't hide from it. I'm, I'm, Again, I, it sounds crazy, but I'm grateful for all the trauma in my life because of how God has gotten to use it. I'm grateful for all the self-inflicted stuff that I've done. What I wish I didn't do was hurt so many really good people. I wish I could take that back. That said, I can't. So now every day of my life moving forward, I'm going to do everything I can to make up for that fact and live the way that God wants me to. And fortunately for me, now I have a whole bag full of, of stuff that no longer serves me, that God's freed me from, but I get to use it now to hopefully set other people free from whatever their demons are, whatever their secrets are. And if I feel that I can share my truth and what I experience comfortably and share what God's done with it, then hopefully other it will inspire other people to take their crap and give it to God too and let him do something with it for them. Like that's all I really want. And that's one of the joys of getting comfortable talking about having HIV, even the way that I got it. Because here's the thing, unlike you, like I'm, I was in the bathhouses. I was in with prostitutes. I was a prostitute. Like I did all that stuff. And so I met a lot of people in the process. I even saw preachers. I even saw, I've seen, I've seen people from all walks of life. And you're right. It is a human condition called sin. And, and, and we let the, th the traumas of our past and our hurts and our pains, we let that overtake us sometimes. And we make bad decisions because we never think to go, God, please take this. We go to something like, the tequila bottle, the meth, the whatever, to try to erase it from our brains. And even though we'll get a temporary relief, guess what? It comes all right running back. And the only thing that freed me, the oh. only thing, 
wasn't drugs. It wasn't working out. It wasn't any of that. It was Jesus. It was giving my life to Jesus and surrendering all of this for him to take. And then he taught me how to use it for good. That has given me purpose. And that is why I'm grateful for having HIV and everything else I had. So, yeah. And, and, and again, it's because of people like you that I am able to do this. And I am so grateful for you for that. Well, Joshua, you have to understand what you're doing is very important because men need examples of you. You know, they're always seeing a certain community, a certain specific community, and they don't see themselves, you know. And um, so what you're doing is very important because not a lot of men are willing to go and say things and say that they have HIV publicly so you're doing an amazing amazing work as well well thank you maria maria please tell everybody where they can find you where they can help support your mission so into you promote anything and everything you want to promote well one of the things that i did um because i've been an activist for 24 years one of the first things that i did is I said, what name can I use on social media so it's really in your face? So the ones that are living with this human condition HIV could come to me and questions. And I have from 12-year-olds to 80-year-olds that, that follow me and everything in between. My name on social media and every social media platform, and you could Google me as well to see my work, is Maria HIV. MA. And you would say, well, why would you put HIV in the middle of your name? Because I don't care what people think about me. This is, this is above me. This is a mission. And I know that what is how I managed to attract the masses. And that's what I'm doing. And I'm not ashamed of it. And I will never take it off. Yeah, love it. Maria, God bless you. If we can do anything to support you, please reach out. Um, so blessed to have gotten to know you and follow, you know, follow you on social media and what you're up to. And you just, again, you mean a lot to me and, uh, I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you. Oh, we'll no, thanks. And, and anything that we need, I'm here as well. God bless, God bless you. you. See you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. <sighs> Maria Mejia. Bye-bye. I uh, I apologize about the sound issues and a little bit of delay there. Sometimes it happens. This is technology. Uh, but her message, nonetheless, and who she is as a person, she really probably could have went on for another 30 minutes talking about all the stuff she's doing, promoting. But you can go to livemonaworldwide.org or livemonaorg.org, doesn't matter. Um, and you'll be able to see all the links to be able to contact her. Um, you'll see her full bio, everything she's up to, her book, and all of that. That'll be on our website for you. And, of course, you can find that on Google News or just scan. See, I did it again. Scan the barcode, and you'll find it. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, again, well, I'm not big on secrets. I, I pretty much made that clear now because I believe they kill you. Um, but I will tell you, though. 
You don't have to suffer in silence. Whether it's HIV, herpes, uh, a chem sex addiction, it could be, uh, I mean, name it. Name, name the thing. Your uncle's abusing you. Your boyfriend's abusing you. Your husband, your wife's abusing you. All these things, these traumatic things, it's like, okay, I've got this, every little trauma you've got. I don't know why I just did this, but I'm going to try to go with an analogy here. I, you, you're, you've got a trauma and it's just stuck to you. It's inside of you. It's now hardwired into your DNA. And the more you keep it there, the more it's going to penetrate and get in and get in and get in and get in and just seep down to these deep corners of your body. And it's never, it's just going to sit there. And you may have thought that you drank it away, you shot it away, or whatever it may be. And then all of a sudden, one day, you get triggered, something happens, and it just roars out. Not your secret, the consequences of your secret. The consequences of your secrets poison your soul, they poison your spirit, and it affects how you show up for other people. And how you show up for other people is what you're going to get in return. It's like lashing out at people. Guess what? It's going to come back. This is why God says in the Bible, Jesus says, to turn the other cheek. Not to be a wussy, but because no matter what you do, unless if you kill the person, which there's consequences for that, but no matter what you do, there's going to be a consequence. You're going to punch them back, and they're going to punch you. Friend jump in. Uncle jump in. Depending on where you're going to fight, could be all the cousins. Like, I would never get in a fight in Hawaii, ever. I get five generations of cousins showing up just to whip your butt for whatever reason. There's consequences for this. But here's the thing. If you can... Have the faith to say, God, I surrender this to you. Please give me the courage to talk to somebody about this. Or just, again, whatever it may be that you're holding in, to give it to God, to let him guide you how to use it. Let him take it from you to put something back in. And this could be anything. It's not just secrets. It's, it's pain. It's sorrow. It's worry. It's concern. It's financial worries. It, it could be any of this. Give it to God. It's so simple, yet we all make it complicated. We all make it complicated. I have been hurting so bad ever since I fell out of the dadgum tree. It was a freaking painful. I was trying to, I love my trees. I've got trees all over the place here. I climbed a tree and I was pruning it and fell it was the most painful thing. Anyway, while that was happening, and all this other drama, like real life drama that was happening that I had nothing to do with, but it was coming at me anyway. And, and it was just heartbroken because it was coming from believers. It was heartbroken. It was sad. And I, and I, and I felt so heavy. And for the first time in my life, I, had, like, I felt this anxiety that I didn't understand and I, I remember, like my Jessica said, just go, like, if you go punch something, go, like, beat up a, a boxing bag, like, just let it out. And, like, or cry or whatever you need. I couldn't. I couldn't move. I was paralyzed with it. 
So I'm not judging you for not talking about it. I'm not judging you or criticizing you because I get it. I, it's so hard to let out sometimes. There's a, it's a real fear. But I'm telling you, once you just let it come out of your mouth and you surrender it or you talk to a friend about it, you confess it. Again, it's, it's just it's any of it really works. It does. I mean, I really think going to God and trusting him with it and letting him guide you. Like for me, it was you need to go on, on, on your broadcast and talk about it. Talk about all of it. I didn't want to do that. But it, it's been amazing because now I have it's given me a confidence and a and I and and just I'm the I'm absent of fear most of the time about talking about these things. But God's plan for it, you, God's plan for you, even the bad stuff is good. Because God can use the bad stuff for good. He can make the good great. There's only so far and so much we can do on our own. With God, we can make the impossible happen. We can make the the ordinary extraordinary. We can make the pain joy, good, great. HIV is not a death sentence. But you owe it to yourself to find out, especially, especially if you're jabbed and boosted, and especially if you're having unprotected sex with people you don't know. And you know what? She was right about something. You don't know who your partner's having sex with, too. And I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I have to say it because I live this life and it's necessary. If you suspect that your partner may be, you know, playing both sides of the fence, in other words, they're bisexual or they could be cheating. Even if you, a woman's intuition is like the most super, the biggest superpower I've ever seen on earth. Women just have this amazing ability just to know. They're not right about everything. But dadgummit, their intuition is really good. And unless you beat it out of them, you, you gaslight them to death and you, you, know, you tell them that they're crazy. And, you know, you, you, you know, get narcissists know what I'm talking about. But if you even suspect your partner's cheating, both of you get tested. If you love each other, get tested. It doesn't cost... There's not even a cost for the, most of these tests now. There's a free clinic everywhere. It's worth knowing. If you're jab and boosted, go get your CD4 and CD8 counts checked. This is not a conspiracy anymore. It wasn't a conspiracy when I first said it, but, you know, it was still in that category. But now there's evidence every day about what's happening. But she's saying it's not a death sentence. She has AIDS. I didn't know that part. So there's a chance. And the sooner you know, the better. Because the sooner you can get the treatment, the sooner you can get the immune boosting medication. And even, I mean, the medication I take works for me. 
But the new meds are even better, even better. As far as shutting this down, of course, I don't know what the other side effects are. I'm not educated on that because I just take mine. My side effect is inflammation and it's miserable sometimes. But I get to live the life that I dreamed of. And you can too. I don't believe that's possible without the Lord. I don't really think anything extraordinary is possible without him. Anyway, God bless you. Thank you for being here. And again, please get tested. It's worth knowing. And you know what? The worst thing really that can happen is you have to tell people the truth about it. And even though you're scared and worried and all that other stuff, your story gets to impact people. Your story gets to make a difference, a good difference in someone else's life. But if you run from it, if you hide from it, it's just going to poison you. Give it to God and let him do something with it for you. Thank you for watching.